Okay, uh, it's good to see all of you here today. And uh, let's go to God in prayer as we look at His Word in uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to pray that uh, again, uh, as always, as we come to your Word, you are the author and you are the one who lets us know what's uh, really saying in its heart. And we pray for the Holy Spirit that will guide us to understand it and to make our hearts soft so that we will be able to obey it. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> now, when we were at the church camp, I, remember, I know uh, quite a lot of you at the church camp, and we played this game, if you can recall, it wasn't that long ago, where you were meant to stand at one side of the room or the other. Okay, I can't remember <coughs> who was actually leading that game. But it was quite interesting, you know, like if you're a morning person, you're meant to stand on one side of the room. If you're an evening person, you're meant to stand on the other side of the room. If you like to be in front of the audience... Stand on one side of the room. If you like to be in the audience, stand on the other side of the room. And I remember there was one uh, part of the game where it says, if you like reading, stand on one side of the room. If you like watching movies, stand on the other side. And it didn't quite surprise me, but I noticed that uh, I was the minority who preferred reading, and everybody else liked to stand on the movie side. And I think that's true, isn't it? We like watching movies. We like, we like, we're visual people. We like pictures. We like images. We absorb these sort of things. And I think that that's what uh, Proverbs chapter 4 is all about. Because over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And uh, really, it's been quite uh, sort of instructional. But today, as we look at Proverbs chapter 4, it's a lot of pictures. In fact, there are four main pictures that we can see there. So let's begin with verse 1 to 4. This is, Listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, an only child of my mother, it, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Now, the first thing we learn here is that the father is teaching the child. Actually, he's not just a father because if you look at verse 3, uh, he is also the only child of my mother. So the parents are teaching the children. And it's not uh, the father in heaven, it is a father. That's why it says there in verse one is it listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. It's not God the Father. This is just any normal father teaching his child. And I think the first thing that we notice here is that children need to listen to their parents, right? Because if it looks from this passage quite clearly, that parents seem to have wise things to say to their children. So I remember one pastor was saying in the illustration how when they were 16 years old, they talked to their parents and they thought that everything that their parents said was really stupid, right? And, but then when they were 21 years old later, they went to speak to their parents, and they thought, wow, my parents really learned a lot in the last five years. Right? And it wasn't that the parents have learned a lot in the last five years, it's just that over time they've realized that actually, because they've lived longer, they've had more wisdom which they can impart to them. Now what is it exactly that the father, a father here and a mother, are communicating to the children? Is it just their normal, everyday uh, wisdom, like, you know, brush your teeth, uh, don't sleep so late, don't watch so much television, don't use the computer so much. What is he actually teaching the child? Well, in verse 4, it says, Lay hold of my words of all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. But more than that, in verse 3, it says, When I was a boy in my father's house, my father taught me to lay hold of my words of all your heart, and keep my commands, and you will live. So the instruction the parents give to the child is not uh, their own instruction, but it is an instruction that's passed from one generation to the other where the grandparents are taught by their grandparents, uh, by their parents, and then the grandparents teach the parent, and then the parent then teaches the son. That's what it says there in this passage, right? So it's like, 
is moving from one generation to the other. So what is it that is being passed on from one generation to the other? Well, it is God's word, God's wisdom. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is up here on the slide, <coughs> you can also see in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Okay, uh, for those of you who take notes on the outline, you can also put in uh, Deuteronomy 11 because it says exactly the same things. Right? Uh, this is what it says. Actually, are any of you missing outlines at the moment? Because some of you didn't get some when you came in, right? Anybody need some? Okay, there's some at the back. Anybody need one? Pay a rule, can give it to you. No? Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 6 here uh, says, These are the commands and decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing to possess so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord your God, sorry, the Lord, the God of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk to them when they sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So what's happening here is, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, he's basically saying, my father taught me God's word and God's teaching and I'm passing it on to you and you need to listen to me. And if you listen to me, in verse 4 it says, if you keep these commands, you will live. And they will live because they are keeping God's commands. So not just any commands about uh, you know, general study or you know, general living, but God's commands. So I know that uh, when I look across and I see you guys sitting there, I realize that very few of you are parents, but uh, you need to pay attention now because hopefully one day you will be a parent. And as a parent, what you need to do is you need to take God's word and give it to the next generation, the children. Um, I was reading this a, a book called Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. And I recommend it to you. It's a very good book. And in American football, you know American football, you know, hut, hut, and the quarterback gets the ball, right? Okay? And then the quarterback, if he doesn't throw the ball forward to uh, the receiver, what does he do? He passes it off or he hands it off to uh, the receiver behind him who then runs through the, the, the linebackers to get to as far down the, the, the football field as they can. So that's what's called a handoff. Okay, If you look at your outline, it says the handoff, right? So in this book, he's saying that um, parents have a responsibility to hand off the ball of the gospel or God's word to their children. And then there's a responsibility of the parents not to fumble the ball. Because sometimes when, you know, the quarterback gets the ball and they go hard, hard and he gets the ball, instead of doing a clean handoff to the receiver, as they, he passes him the ball, they fumble it, it drops on the floor, and then the play is lost. And that's what he says, you know, here in verse 1 to 4, the parents, they pass on God's word from one generation to the other. And therefore parents, one day hopefully when you become parents, have a responsibility to pass on God's word to the next generation. But the problem is that uh, we can become very lazy and, and, and uh, neglect passing on God's word to the next generation. So I was reading uh, Digital Life, which comes the, with my Straits Times every Wednesday. And in the first page, uh, the editor was saying that he went home to KL to visit his mum. 
and then uh, he was joined by his two sisters and their five children. So one niece uh, whipped out her 7-inch tablet, and then the other one whipped out her 14-inch laptop, and they began socializing with the rest of the world on Facebook. Then the older nephew powered up his MacBook, and then started, uh, put on his headphones and started watching YouTube. And the two other younger nephews uh, used their mobile phones to play games. So, that's one of the things that we must never do as uh, Christian parents. Was we, we mustn't delegate our babysitting uh, responsibilities to our uh, electronic devices, right? We must actually use our time to teach our children God's Word. Now, in your, um, in your outline, you should have received an article uh, hopefully all of you got one. If you don't get one, please get one. I sent it out to you by email. And it's an article about how uh, a, a parent uh, shares about reading the Bible of their children. And uh, this parent says that every day they try to read the Bible of the children. And it's very simple. Uh, all they ask the children is ask one question or make one observation about the, the passage. And that's the end of the Bible reading for the day. But they find that it's so helpful in terms of the children understanding God's Word. You see, you, you cannot delegate uh, the passing on of the gospel to children's church or to the youth group. Because uh, the children's church or youth group meets just one or two hours every week. There are 168 hours every week. And statistically, according to the newspaper, children, uh, which is some of you, will spend 21 hours watching television on Facebook or on the internet. So how can you compare that with one or two hours of children's church? or youth group. The parents must take the responsibility to hand off God's word and not fumble it to their children. So I've given this illustration numerous times and I think it's so important, right? So Ridge Orr, the guy who has spoken in our church camp before and he's come and preached at church. He was a pastor at Princeps Street Presbyterian Church. His wife, Connie, tells us how, uh, told us and you, me and my wife about how, my wife and I, how they go back to America every year to visit their relatives. And uh, she was telling us about how there's one relative who are a Christian family, their parents, their children go to a Christian church, they go to the youth group, it's a very good church. But the last time they went back to America, she found that the children were not really Christian. Uh, when they were talking about Christian things, uh, the children got up, got up from the table and left the table, right? Obviously, Asian children wouldn't do that, right? Okay? But they got up from the table and left the table because they, they were not interested in Christian things. But then, there's another relative who she shared with us where uh, the, the, the father who is actually not, she said, is a very young Christian, not a very good Christian, but somehow got it into his head that he needed to keep teaching the children God's word. She said the last time she visited this relative, the, the children were actually much stronger Christians than the other ones because in the other family they had delegated passing on the Christian gospel to the church, but it wasn't enough. So here, as we look at this passage, it is, God's word passed on from one family to another family to the children. And the responsibility of not fumbling the ball is with the parents. Now, <clears throat> there was another example which was given in this book which I thought was really good. And uh, he gives this example about how he, he, he is a Christian friend who is a father. And this father complained to him about how his son had become really wild and promiscuous. And uh, the author, this uh, author of this book was saying, why, why did that happen? He was trying to work out with his father what happened. And he thought that it was because uh, this father watched a lot of DVDs and cable television at home. And not X-rated DVDs, but just normal Hollywood DVDs, some of which are R-rated, some of which are PG-13, 
PG, some of which are whatever, right? And he never discriminated and told his children, okay, this is good lifestyle, this is a bad lifestyle, we're watching this, but this is not good for you. Because he used to watch everything and say, okay, this is all, this is all normal, this is all good. So as a result, the child grew up not with the values of his father, who was a Christian, but the, the values of Hollywood. And this pastor, Derek Prime, who I heard on the internet preaching on this passage, said, there are times where it's okay, even after you've bought a book, to throw away the book when you realize that the book is not actually doing you any good or doing your children any good. It's okay to turn off the television. Uh, and uh, you know, when you watch DVDs uh, with uh, your children, it's always good to have the remote control in your hand. I, 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 you can ask my children, when we watch television, I'm the one in charge of the remote control, right? Okay, um, and uh, whenever you see sex scenes or you know things on the, the, the television or things on the on the DVD which are not helpful, you can always fast forward it right? because you're saying to your children that this is not good. We don't approve of this. This is not right for you. So it's the role of the parent to hand off the gospel and not fumble uh, the gospel when you hand it off from one generation to the other. So what is the role of the child then in terms of receiving this instruction? Well, look at what it says in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Now, if you look here in verse 5 to verse 9, all the images are about marriage. You look carefully here. Get wisdom. Pursue wisdom, right? It's like, go after someone you really love. And love her, esteem her, embrace her. And don't forsake her. It's the idea of marriage, right? It's like, you chase after a woman, you get the woman. Uh, I'm talking from a man's point of view, right? And then, you know, you, you embrace her, you esteem her. And once you have her, you make sure you never forsake her. It's the whole idea of marriage. So what it's actually saying here is that um, this teaching that is passed on from the parent to the child, the child must, must like marry and be close and, and, and embrace this wisdom that she has received, oh, sorry, that uh, he or she has received from the parent. And if the child receives and embraces and marries wisdom, she will get blessing, right? It keeps, it keeps saying that uh, if you... If you do not forsake wisdom, she will protect you. If you love her, she will watch over you. If you esteem her, she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. And she will, she will set a garland of grace, like a, a crown of honor on your head. Now, what exactly will you get from embracing or marrying wisdom? Well, verse 7 is really uh, what they call the key verse or the high point of this passage. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. So it says wisdom is a really valuable commodity, right? So you want to marry wisdom above everything else. Now, as we have the New Testament, the New Testament says the same thing about the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew chapter 13, next slide, right? Look at what Jesus says, okay? Matthew chapter 13, okay, up here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he, sold, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, the Bible is not saying that you have a choice. You give up everything for wisdom, 
or you give up everything for the kingdom of heaven. What it's actually saying is, when you have wisdom, you are actually getting the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and wisdom are synonymous to each other. They're parallel to one another. So what the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. So that's why it's so important for us, it says there, to give up everything we have to get wisdom, to marry wisdom, to keep wisdom. Now, I'm sure that uh, I think all of us, you know, maybe not all, but all of us sort of fall in love with someone, right? And you know, when you fall in love, what happens? You are always thinking about that person. That person is really important to you, more important than everything else. Like the song says, right? When a man loves a woman, he can't keep his mind on nothing else. And it's the same thing. It's like when, you, when, you, when you, you're meant to actually embrace wisdom and uh, pursue wisdom in the same way that you are to embrace her. The, the word literally here, embrace, and to esteem her, is almost like being intimate with, with, uh, with wisdom. You're, you're so close to her. It's like being physically close to wisdom. And the reason why is because if you have that relationship with wisdom, you have life. Right? That's why even though it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. It is the kingdom of heaven to you. So are you... Married to wisdom, do you have that relationship with wisdom? In verse 10 onwards, there's a different image of what it is to, to live the wise life. And it's all about the path, the walking and the, the, the journey, right? Listen, my son, accept what I say. The years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction, do not let it go, guard it well. For it is your life. You see all the phrases here about the path? I guide you. I lead you. You walk. You run. So, the idea is when you, when you follow the way of wisdom, it's not a um, one-off decision. It is a lifetime journey where every morning you wake up, you choose to live in a wise way. You choose to follow in the wise path. And it says there, in verse 13, that if you walk on this path, it is your life. Now, it doesn't say if you walk this way, you will be rewarded with eternal life or you will gain life. Look at what the verse says in verse 13. If you hold on to it, do not let it go. If you guard it well, it is your life. So what it's actually saying, and I think a lot of the commentaries say that, is that life is a gift of God. Eternal life is a gift of God if you're a Christian. And if you walk on the right path, you will not lose this gift of life. To walk on the wise path is to keep what you already have, which is eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. To have wisdom and to walk on wisdom is synonymous to having life. Because there's a great, great temptation in verse 14 onwards to not walk in the right path. Listen to what the Bible says. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. Go on your own way. For they cannot sleep until they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. See, God will not be telling us through His word to not set foot, walk, travel, turn or go on the evil way unless the evil way is very attractive to us. And it is attractive to us. It appeals to us. We like, you know, following the evil way. You just watch television. 
You know, it's, like, it's attractive to be the bad boy or the bad person. But it's the wrong way to live. And in fact, if you live in this way, you will be with people who cannot help themselves but do evil. Now, verse 16 and 17 uh, show us a very interesting picture of just how evil uh, the way of the wicked is. Now, for many of you, when you sleep uh, late, right? Imagine you go home late after school or you work late. Do you still eat dinner before you go to sleep? Of course you do, right? I mean, I don't know. I eat dinner before I sleep, even if it's like midnight, because I can't sleep with an empty stomach. So even if it's cornflakes or bread or toast or just a glass of milk, I need to eat something before I sleep. And here, in verse 16 and 17, it says that when you walk on this evil path, you will be mixing with people who cannot sleep until they do evil. It says that they, they need to eat the, the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence before they can go to sleep. And that's the path of wickedness. That's where you will end up and that's the people you associate with. That after a while you get addicted to evil and wickedness and you cannot rest until you do it. And in verse 18 and 19, it contrasts between these two ways of living. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now, if you look at this passage, it's saying that when you walk on the right path, things get brighter and brighter and brighter until eventually it's like bright sunlight. Now, I think for many of you as students, especially in the morning session, you know when you wake up in the morning, it's complete darkness, right? And then when you go to school, uh, as you're making your way to school, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and it's full sunshine. Well, that's the way of walking in the path of wisdom. That you, you get more and more light until there's absolute righteousness and full salvation. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. You're, you're stumbling around, you're sinning. You don't even know what you're doing and you, you just don't know the way out because you're walking on the wrong path. So which path are you walking on? The path that is getting brighter and brighter and brighter in your life, or the path of deep darkness. Because you're walking in the path of deep darkness, then it says there, uh, it is your life. You will not have life. You will forfeit the gift of life. Now in verse 20 to 27, we have the last picture. And really, the last picture is all about your heart. All about your heart. So if you look up here on the slide, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I used to have uh, these words pasted on my cubicle at work. Okay? And the word heart here is not emotional heart, like you know, you've lost that loving feeling. It is not the physical heart, it is uh, the core of who you are. Your heart is who you really are deep down inside you, your inner being, right? And the Bible says here, guard your heart, guard who you are, guard the core of who you are. You know, as you, I don't know what you find valuable, you guard your bicycle, or you guard your laptop, or you guard your phone, you guard your house, or your health. It says here, guard your heart, who you really are. And, and it says that above all else, 
guard your heart. That means that you may have more important things to do with your life, cleaning, your career, your study, but nothing can be more important than guarding your heart. Guarding your heart must be the most important thing in your whole life if you are a person of God. So do you guard your heart? Now, we know that if we are in Jesus Christ, our heart is already clean. God, God has cleansed us in our heart because Jesus died for us. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this, okay? uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now this is a prophecy of the Old Testament and when Jesus came, uh, he said that this was fulfilled, that we will have new hearts. So in Hebrews chapter 10, next slide, it says this, Therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you are cleansed in your heart. You're cleansed on the inside. And as we read the book of Proverbs, it's saying, guard that, guard that and make sure it stays clean. If you are not a Christian, if you do not yet know Jesus, then pray to Jesus that He will clean your heart and may you clean inside. Ask for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so in Proverbs chapter 4 again, it says, Above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Now what is the wellspring of life? Uh, we don't usually use that every day. What does wellspring mean? It's like the source of life. It's like you turn on the water, right? And that is the source of water in your tap. Okay? Now the life here is not eternal life. It's not saying guard your heart because it is the wellspring of eternal life. It is saying it is the wellspring of living. It is how you will live. We always say when we read the Bible, context is really important. And the context here says that what your heart is, is how you will live on the outside. And that's why in verse 24, it talks about your mouth or your lips. Verse 25 talks about your eyes. Verse 26 talks about your feet. Because what is in your heart will affect how you speak. What is in your heart will affect how you, what you look at. What is in your heart will determine how you walk in this life. So, uh, next slide. The book of Proverbs and Jesus says the same thing. As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. But the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his heart, his mouth speaks. So, what is in your heart? If you have bitterness in your heart, it will overflow into bitterness on the outside. If you have envy 
in your heart. It will overflow into the way that you live. The condition of your heart will determine how you act on the outside. So there was a pastor who was uh, leaving a restaurant. This is an American pastor. It's probably a small town. And he noticed that the waitress had given him too much change. Uh, he'd given him $5 change too much. So he wasn't sure what to do. So he thought, okay, I better go back and return it. So he went back to the restaurant. He returned it. And the waitress, who obviously knew him, said to him, just testing you, Rev. Right, so the waitress was actually testing to see whether he would keep the $5. Testing to see the condition of his heart. Because everything you do is determined by the state of your heart. I know uh, this person who uh, was, in a big, uh, was in adultery, and uh, the person said, oh, you know, it's the circumstances that uh, led me to adultery, you know. This beautiful woman came to my life, or God put this woman in my life, and I couldn't help myself, and I committed adultery. But it's not the result of circumstances which led this man to commit adultery. It was the condition of his heart. Because his heart would determine what he looked at, who he spoke to, and where his feet led him to. So what is the state of your heart? What is the state of your heart? Are you guarding your heart? Now I think there are three ways in which the Bible talks about guarding our heart. The first way is to stop bad things from going into our heart. Now, obviously when you walk around, you can't walk around the world with blinkers on, right? Or you're blindfold, unless you're blind. So you will see bad things, you will hear bad things, you will read bad things. But the question is, will you allow those bad things to go into your heart? So again, I was reading this book, and I've been, being a very American, right, I use a lot of American illustrations. And he said, you know, it's like, uh, you know Star Trek? I'm sure you all watch Star Trek, right? And uh, Star Trek, whenever the missiles are coming at the... What's that Star Trek name? Whatever name of the Star Trek ship is. They will always say, Sh- <laughs> shields up, right? Shields up to protect the, the ship, okay? And, um, and, th- and that's what this guy was saying. In the same way where we see bad things, we hear bad things, we read bad things, we must put a shield over our heart to stop them from going to our heart. So, in the book, it's talked about David, King David and Bathsheba. You know, King David was walking on the roof of his, uh, his, his uh, mansion or his palace and he looked down and he saw Bathsheba bathing naked on uh, the roof somewhere else. But he didn't sin when he saw her naked. He sinned when he allowed that vision to get into his heart and then create the desire to want to, to commit adultery with her. So are you shielding your heart from the bad things that you see or hear or read out there? Or do you allow it to get into your heart? The second way is, what is in your heart right now? What is already there in your heart? Are there things in your heart which are not right with God? Now, in Mark chapter 7, verse 17 to 23, Jesus speaks about what is inside a, a person, a man, is what makes him unclean. In verse 20, he says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So when you reflect on your heart now, right? think about it, just think about it. Do you have these things in your heart? 
malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance or folly. Is that what is in your heart right now? Well, again, uh, another illustration from this book, American illustration. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to nuke it. Nuke it. Uh, you know what nuke is, right? Nuclear bomb it, right? You need to blast it into smithereens in your heart. You cannot allow these evil thoughts to, to take root in your heart. Because if you have these evil thoughts in your heart and you treasure them and you do not weed them out like weeds, they will multiply and over, over, overgrow in your heart and they will consume you. And you will become like those things in your heart because they will overflow into your life. The bitterness or the anger or the envy or the jealousy or the pride. Now, you need to check your heart to make sure that these bad things are not in your heart. But not only do we need to not have bad things, we need to do the third thing, which is to fill our hearts, fill our inner beings with good things. So take away the bad things, nuke the bad things, but fill it with good things. And what are the good things that we need to fill our heart with? Well, uh, up here again, in Galatians chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 4, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Is your heart filled with goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Because that's what we need to fill our lives with, fill our hearts with. In Philippians chapter 4 it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do we fill our hearts do you fill the hearts? Do I fill my hearts with those things which are noble and true and right and pure and lovely? Or are they bad things in my heart? Now, last of all, the most important thing is obviously in the book of Proverbs, we need to fill ourselves with God's Word, isn't it? Because the book of Proverbs, especially Proverbs 4, is all, all about the, the Father teaching the Son what His Father taught Him. And that was God's commandments. So do you fill your mind, do you fill yourself with God's Word? so that you know how to live rightly before God. There was this guy called uh, Wayne Grudem. I, I know some of you are using the ESV Bibles, right? Either your iPad or your uh, Samsung tablet or your, your Bible, right? And there's this guy, Wayne Grudem. He's one of the translators uh, for the ESV Bible. And he told the story of how when he was doing the translation work, they met in England and they were working like day after day after day translating the Bible. And you know, it's hard enough reading through the whole Bible, but imagine, imagine translating the whole thing, right? And he was getting really tired, so he decided that he would not wake up in the morning to do his quiet time reading of the Bible. And he shared that uh, after three or four days, he noticed that he was different, right? And this is what he wrote in his uh, personal devotional journal. He said that he found himself being more proud. He had a tendency to talk about himself a lot. Some of you might be like that, right? He hoped that people would praise him. He was looking for people to praise him. He felt a, a, a greater lack of love for other people. He felt more irritable. He felt a general inward sense of unease. He felt that he was more self-reliant and he felt that he had no peace. And what had happened? Well, he said himself that even though he was studying and translating the Bible every day, he wasn't actually reading the Bible in a way and, apply, and devotionally and applying it to his own life. And uh, he said that uh, 
he quoted this Puritan author who said that the heart is like a violin. Obviously, that doesn't mean much to us because not many of us play the violin. But apparently, the violin, you need to keep tuning it because if you don't tune it regularly, it goes out of tune. So he says our heart is like a violin. It goes out of tune really quickly. All it took for him was three or four days. He said we must read God's Word and, and keep keeping our heart, our inner being in tune with God and God's Word. And that's why it's really sad sometimes because we read the Bible but we don't apply it to ourselves. right? You know sometimes we do the Bible study, I do it myself, and we get to the application questions and we think, ah yeah, who needs to do application questions? Right? But we need to read the Bible devotionally and apply it to ourselves, our lives. Now this morning I, I thought of another application also is that ministry is not equal to guarding your heart. God is not interested in how many things you do for Him, but God is interested, as we can see in Proverbs chapter 4, with you guarding your heart above all else, even above ministry. You can be doing all sorts of things for God, but God wants you more than doing ministry to guard your heart. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says this, right? Let me just read it quickly to you, since I thought of it this morning, I didn't put it in the bullet uh, in the screen. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. See, here were people who were doing ministry for Jesus. They were using his name and doing these great things for Jesus. But Jesus said, away from me. Why? Because they were not guarding their heart. They were not living in the right way of wisdom. They were not walking in the right path. They were evildoers. So, let us not fool ourselves and think that, okay, we do a lot of things for God, God accepts us. No. What God wants us to do is we really have the gift of eternal life. He wants us to guard our hearts and keep walking in the right path of wisdom. To marry her and to never forsake her. And that is our life. That is your life. That is my life. Only if we keep walking in the right path before God. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we will take the warning of Proverbs chapter 4 and to really apply it to our lives. That you will help us to examine our hearts our deep being of who we are and to shield us from the bad things that we see or hear and not take it into our heart. If there are bad things in our heart right now, uh, you know whatever sins we may have harboring in our hearts, we pray that you will help us to truly weed them out and to cast them out of our lives. And we pray that you may fill our heart with only good things, the fruit of the Spirit, whatever is good, true, or admirable, or praiseworthy, and to fill it with your word, dear Father. Help us to continue to walk on the right path, the path where it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the day when Jesus comes where there will be a complete daylight of true righteousness and salvation. And we pray for every one of us here that that may be so. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.